You are listening to Fika with Vicky on United Public Radio, 107.7 and 105.3 from New Orleans. everyone, and welcome to Fika. This week, Morgan Daimler is making a return visit. She is an author, both fictional and non-fictional, a witch, a teacher, and a fairy expert. We'll be discussing her freshest release, Freya, Meeting the Norse Goddess of Magic, and Between the Worlds, a fictional series. Morgan always has a lot to share with us, and what she shares is real. Whether it's her personal experiences with spirits or deities or the emotions of a, of a, a fictional character, we can feel the truth behind them. She cuts right to the point, which I should have just done. And she cuts right to the point. And though you're never quite sure what you're going to see next, you know it's something that's going to make you think, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But yeah, I get it. And I'm going to take that one step further, if I may. So thank you for taking us one step further in our thinking and our understanding, Morgan. And welcome back to FICA. Yeah, thank you for having me back on. I'm excited to be here. Ben has written, it's Morgan Daimler throws flowers. <laughs> what, does, <laughs> what does that mean? Ben, what does that mean? Hi, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, he's throwing flowers towards you. Okay, I read it wrong. It's Morgan Daimler. Ben he, throwing he, flowers. I, he can throw <laughs> flowers at me if he wants. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 very good. I just see this is what happens when you use a different expression when reading something, right? <laughs> it has a whole different meaning. How are you, Morgan? I'm hanging in. It has been a very hectic, <laughs> hectic summer, um, but I'm I'm managing <laughs> so far. You are, and you're doing well. And thank you for clarifying that, Ben, and for your sarcasm this afternoon. <laughs> okay, Ben. Ben Stimson, author, says hello, and it means hello. Um, okay, so we're going to forget about you for a minute, Ben. <laughs> He's being disruptive, Morgan. Oh, no. And we'll get on with her. <laughs> That's him, right? Yeah. I mean... His book is really good, so he can be disruptive if he wants. It is. It is. It is. His book is constructive. There, I will never have any complaints or criticism of his book, <laughs> or of Ben either. We're just we're just joking around, guys. Just joking around. Okay, so I wanted to clarify something for myself, and you know whether the audience wants it clarified or not. Sure. Um, um, is it so? Freya, we've talked we've talked to other authors who have written pagan portal books as mm -hmm. well. You have written several. The last one's 21st century fairy we discussed was a pagan portal. So within the Norse beliefs, you have also written Odin and Thor. Yes. And but you've also written the Norse Pantheon book. And I know that Moon Books has other Pantheon books and and 
So what is the difference? I disappeared. What is the difference <laughs> between the portal books and the Pantheon books? Sure. Um, so they're both meant to be introductory in different ways. Um, I love the Pagan Portal series, which is why I've written so many books for it, because I just think it's a, a marvelous well. idea. Yeah, it's, it's the... The idea is to have a book that's about 100 pages or so. So the price point is going to be lower because books are getting quite expensive. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but that offers like a very solid, basic introduction to a topic and gives people enough of an understanding of it to decide if they want to learn more or at least feel like they're pretty grounded in, in understanding it, you know, uh, which I love. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. The Pantheon series, the books are a little bit longer. Um, they're not quite twice as long as the, the Pagan Portals, but close. Um, and it's supposed to be a little more all-encompassing. So um, it gets into more depth with different things. It gets into a little bit of the history. Um, it gets into different aspects of historic belief, modern belief, um, just digs a little deeper because you have more room to write of course it is then a higher price point so you know it's uh, but you, it's what's happening and it's not the authors i don't want to it's, it's it's what happened the authors have no control over no. type of thing so no, it's a supply issue as far as i understand it with the cost of papers going up the cost of productions going up shipping is going up you know and that all ends up raising the price of the book right and and the firefighters aren't going to help the firefighters the firefighters are helping but the fires themselves are are not um not going to be helping the situation so i this is what i like about the pagan portals because it gives you so many references to move on on and and study yourself and i think uh, yes i will i haven't read i haven't read any of the pantheon books yet so. Okay, there's only a few out. Um, there's the Norse one. I believe there's an Egyptian one. Um, and I believe there's one other, although to be honest, I'm not going to remember offhand what it is. Um, but there's several more in the works. It's meant to be a, a whole series eventually. Um, I'm working on one for the Irish Pantheon as well. Um, Very that cool. For a few years. Very cool. And I think there's a Greek one coming up um, yes. with, with that I've discussed with others. So... Freya is very cool. Um, I'm liking her. I'm like I hadn't I hadn't really looked into her before, and and so like as herself alone, you know, and and so I I was just blown away by her characteristics. Um, but what drew you? You talk about your personal experiences in this book. What drew you to Freya Morgan? So this is another of the stories where I get to make myself sound really old. So back in like uh, 1999, 2000, um, I had a, a small group of local friends and one of them, um, my friend uh, Patty LaFile, was particularly devoted to or connected to Freya. And sort of what got me interested in Freya and, and studying her stories and getting to know her and her mythology and folklore and all of that was really seeing Patty and how she was um, not just sort of living her life kind of in tune with that, but also um, just how passionate she was about Freya um, and 
kind of watching what she was doing and listening to the stories that she was talking about. Uh, and Freya is just one of those goddesses that I think once you, once you start to kind of learn about her, you want to know more. <laughs> she kind of pulls you in. Yeah, no, I'm pulled in. Okay. <laughs> I'm pulled in all the way. Like she's just so like, she has such, so much agency over herself. She does and and her actions and she doesn't listen to any what anybody says or what they're thinking about her and i'm just like okay i need this i need this goddess um in my life thank you very much i i tend to go for such goddesses like <laughs> put on the boots and let's sure. get some work done um and i and i think she is one of those goddesses uh it's it's, it's um so what specifically are some of the things we can say about her without spoiling the entire um, book um, characteristics? I mean, I think that, you know, when we're talking about Freya, because she, she is fairly popular. Most people, if you mention the name Freya, even if they don't know a lot about Norse mythology, they're going to recognize the name. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, the name is known. Yeah, I yeah think. she's probably, I would say, the most well-known of the Norse um, goddesses. And um, I think what makes her particularly interesting is that people recognize her, they recognize her name, but a lot of people really don't know much about her. There's this sort of like um, surface understanding that a lot of people have. So when you dig into her mythology and her stories and her associations and and all of this, there's just so much to it. Like it was hard to, to keep it to a pagan portal. I, I could have written a lot more <laughs> about Freya because um, there's just so much to her. And I think that there's certain things that on the surface we hear about her, um, like you'll hear people talk about she's a goddess of love. And that's one of those things that it's true, but it's not true um it, it is true but in a very specific kind of way that you have to sort of appreciate her stories and what she was actually connected to to understand you know she's not like a valentine's day goddess no 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 <laughs> not at all are there any norse valentine's day gods or goddesses um one of uh freya's handmaidens I think um, is more associated with maybe what we would consider that sort of like romantic um, partnership kind of energy. Um, Freya, in my opinion, at least, and for how I take her stories is a little more on the um, passionate <laughs> end of love. Um, um, she goes uh, way too for it, which I think a lot of people don't realize, but um, definitely not the, the marriage. No. Well, from what you from what you wrote, I saw her as a life goddess and and love being part of life and and the side effects of love. So um or just I like that. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> the side effects? Yeah. Um, so she's there for birth, she's there for death, she's there for war. She just sort of gets I, I just see her get down to business yeah. goddess as as we uh, maybe a little less emotional and and don't even go there kind of attitude. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another thing a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate about her um, is that she does have this sort of all-encompassing um, energy to her. 
Um, you know, she, she kind of, like you were saying, she sort of has these different aspects, I guess we could say, that can apply sort of throughout your whole life in all sorts of different situations. And I'm not a huge fan of the idea of like deities of specific things. I think that tends to be too narrow of a way to understand them. But it is true that a lot of them are associated strongly with you know, this particular thing or that particular thing. And with Freya, it's sort of everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, she's she's kind of a little bit of everything in a really, really good way. Yes, yes, I think so. And, and I want to point out that I am not expressing what I think Freya is because I'm saying, oh, I knew all this. This is all stuff I got from Morgan's book. So I'm demonstrating how knowledgeable, even with 100 pages, not that I'm knowledgeable. Okay, I'm not good, but just how much knowledge you can gain from reading this, the, the pagan portholes to okay. send you in a direction of, of where you want to go. And they really make you think. And Morgan particularly does a good job of that. Thank you. I, I think with Freya, it was probably one of my favorite pagan portals to have written, to be honest, because... Are you allowed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to officially have a favorite, but... She does. Um, just because, the, you know, I learned so much when I was writing it, because there were certain things that, like I said, are kind of just widely known or widely accepted about Freya, um, that when I really dug into them, just turned out to be to be so much more layered and nuanced. And there were actually certain things that I had always kind of assumed maybe weren't true about Freya or were like modern revisions about her character that when I actually dug into it, it's like, no, there's, there's all this history to it. And there's all these like um, social contexts that would have been going on at the time that sort of explain why um, things that we might uh, sort of be a little squeamish about maybe, or, you know, not want to look into closely are, are actually kind of important to understanding her. So it was. And, and yeah. And the time that she developed into a goddess. Um, ben has an actual question. <laughs> was there anything you learned in writing this book that you didn't know before? I definitely learned a lot writing this book, um, which I have to admit was a little bit surprising because, as you mentioned, I've got Pagan Portals Odin, I've got Pagan Portals Thor, I have the Norse Pantheon book. So this is not my first time writing about this sort of more general topic. Um, and I've been kind of active in the, the U.S. Um, heathen community uh, since 2006. So... And it's not a subject that I like was new to, but there were a lot of things about Freya that I didn't realize there was so much nuance to. Um, and I'm trying to think of a specific example to give. And of course my mind goes completely blank when I try to find specific examples on the fly. Um, but I think um, maybe like, for example, the, the connection she has with fertility um, particularly agricultural fertility. That was something I really hadn't understood or been aware of until I was writing this book and, and really digging into the sources. And it, it clarified for me. So there's a saying in a couple different Norse myths 
uh, I shouldn't even say a saying. There's something that happens in a couple different Norse myths where the giants or a giant um, kind of confront the gods or, or have the gods in a bad position or have stolen something from the gods like Thor's hammer. And what they want is the sun, the moon, and Freya. And the sun and the moon are kind of self-explanatory. You know, why wouldn't you want the sun and the moon if you can make demands of the gods? But, but why, why specifically Freya out of, you know, all of the, the goddesses they could have wanted? You know, you've got Iduna right there who has the golden apples of immortality and all that fun stuff. But they wanted Freya. And I think... I had always just sort of accepted that without really contemplating why. But when I learned about how connected she was to sort of this agricultural abundance and this idea of fertility of, you know, people and animals and the land and everything, it makes so much more sense now when I read that passage, like, oh, of course they would want her because she's kind of the key to, to everything being fruitful. Yes. Yes. No, she's, she's really an all-purpose goddess. I'm just, <laughs> if we're going to <laughs> give her a, a, a brand or a, you know, <clears throat> that line that gets people into Freya, <laughs> she, she's, she's all-purpose. I, I love her. Brian would like to know, Morgan, how would you compare the characteristics of Freya with other major goddesses? For example, Hera. I mean, I definitely think we can always find some points of comparison and crossover um, when we take someone like Freya and then compare her to anyone, um, whether it's Hera or um, the Morrigan even or, or anyone. Um, and I think some of that is because of what we were just discussing, that she's got this all-encompassing um, kind of, of thing going on. Um, I do think if we look at specifically like Hera, that the Hera would be more comparable maybe to Frigga, who is um, Odin's wife in the mythology and, and sort of the, um, I guess you'd say queen of the, the Aesir, queen of the, the Norse gods. Um, Freya is a little more feral than that. <laughs> um, you know, she's not the sort of goddess in the stories who sits on a throne and, and looks down and, and sees the fate of the world, which is something that Frigga does. Um, she's a lot more hands-on too. Not that Frigga doesn't have her moments, but um, Freya seems to be much more You're much hands-on. <laughs> yeah, much more interactive with the human world. Um, yes, yes. Um, with all the hands. So I think if we want to bring out her practicality and, and who she is, can I just tell one little story, sort of PG version, very short, Morgan? So just, just go ahead. Okay, so Freya wanted this necklace that was made by four dwarves. So she suggested a way in which they could have a good time all together and she would have the necklace at the end of that. So they had the good time and she has the necklace. Now, many people over years and centuries, maybe not quite understanding um, the times and the context and the way things have, have sort of had negative connotations towards that and come up with a few names or whatever. I say this demonstrates a woman, a goddess, who knows what she wants, knows what she has, and uses it to get what she wants. So good for you, Freya. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the kind of goddess we're talking about. 
Yeah, and that's that's a really good example of something that researching it made me rethink how I was approaching it. Um, because it is one of those things that's a little controversial. Um, some people don't like to talk about that particular story with Freya, or they do tend to take that very um, sort of, I guess, goddess shaming. <laughs> that's probably a dangerous hobby, <laughs> not shaming yeah. any goddesses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the, when I kind of started digging into it, I realized that a lot of the popular versions of the story that get sort of passed around are from the Victorian era. And the Victorian era, those stories of any culture are really an issue to kind of take too much at face. Okay, we're just going to... Um, because a lot of times those authors were very um, quick... We're just going to wait on Morgan for... Oh, did I freeze? Well, now you're frozen. Everything's frozen. I could keep talking. I don't know if anyone can hear me or if I'm frozen or if you're frozen. So. Awesome. Just let me know, Vicky, when, when I'm back. Okay. I'm here and rambling to myself, apparently. Um, and... Well, well, we're, that's See, okay. I, I'll just keep talking. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so we missed everything you said up to, I'll just keep talking. Okay. Um, oh, okay. So I'm the one that's frozen. <laughs> okay. Why am I frozen? Um, that's okay. I'll, I'll talk for a little bit and we'll try to get it figured out. But basically the Victorian writers are very quick to insert their own sort of morality and Part of that meant that they were very judgmental of Freya's actions. So, you know, when we're when we're looking at this story of her making this deal with the four dwarves, which involves spending a night with each of them, the Victorian authors did not relay that in a way that looked any sort of positive towards Freya. Whereas when we go back to the, the older sources that they were sort of pulling from, it was a much more neutral kind of story. There wasn't this judgment. It wasn't implied. Um, like there's one Victorian version, which is just really harsh <laughs> towards Freya. Um, talks about how much shame she felt and all of this nonsense. The original version wasn't like that. It was just there was this thing the dwarves had made. The dwarves, of course, are known for making these amazing magical items. Um, that's where Thor got his hammer, courtesy of Loki. Um, so when she saw this necklace and it was something she wanted, this was how she got it. And it really does kind of lean into who she is as a deity, this symbol of uh, fertility and fruitfulness and like you said, it's, it's a great way to, to look at how she has all this agency and all this control. Um, all of the other Norse gods, when they have these dwarven made treasures, they were all given to them, usually by Loki trying to, to fix a problem he caused. But <laughs> with Freya, okay. that's not the case. She went out and she, uh, she acquired this herself, uh, which is really striking if you stop and think about it in contrast to like Thor and Odin and Frey, her brother, who just sort of passively were given these things. So <clears throat> I'm going to trust I'm working now. 
okay. okay all right so um so yes yes she she took what she had and she got what she needed and i think instead of just sitting there saying this isn't fair all the all these people get what they want and i have to work for it and and she did and that that is is a great way of yes we talk we talk about the context now <clears throat> excuse me that's the older context what i love about 21st century fairy and and um this one is that you add lists of all the contemporary stuff that freya is in like whether it's a series on one of those one of those um streaming sites or even video games you bring it up because you say it's important for them to for us to interact with them on a more more modern level yes and can you can you tell us why that is why should we do that morgan sure i think um and to be clear i'm not implying that all of those depictions in video games and tv shows and, and movies are perfect <laughs> or even sometimes good but I think that it's easy to fall into this mindset, um, even for people who are learning about these deities or even people who are, are pagans or witches who are trying to engage with them now, of seeing the the gods and the goddesses as historic, as you know, rooted in the past. And I think it's really important to include these modern examples to really get people to grasp that, you know, they're still current. You know, there are still new stories being told of Freya. Again, whether those stories are good or bad is a separate conversation. But, you know, she's still very present in the world. She's still very present in people's minds. And I think we need to be aware of that in order to really understand how important she is. Because stories change. Mm -hmm. They change with the people's needs. And therefore, she would be available for the needs now and yes. to make herself known in ways that are more available to us. In that same in that same idea of this is the way it was, this is the way it's always going to be, <laughs> you discuss the difference between, well, say, for example, I love the part where you say your daughter drew a picture of Freya. And it came from the heart, from the soul of who she was, not what the world has, you know, other illustrators have shown us or, or whatever that was from her heart. And you were going to pick up some crayons. Do you have the picture to show us? <laughs> no, I should have planned ahead. Um, I wasn't even leading that. So like, how cool I should have asked her to draw a picture of Freya. But but we're all going to have different interpretations and and that's how people in the first place there was no books on this is what freya is mm -hmm. there was people getting to know her and creating their own understanding yes yeah and i think you know when we look at the older mythology and the older stories a lot of times we don't get physical descriptions you know occasionally we will but even then, it can be contradictory. Like Thor, we have um, <laughs> some references of him as a redhead, some as a blonde. You know, so it, it's kind of up in the air. There is no decisive, like, this is how he appears in the mythology. It's, it's a little fluid. And Freya is the same way. Like, we don't have a very clear 
physical description, I think part of that was because it was understood that people would sort of perceive her in their own ways. There wasn't like a standard stock image that was going around. And I think that helps people connect to her more because she feels more personal. Well, first, I would like to point out that um, I see Marvel's depiction of Thor very favorably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> second <right>. of all, <laughs> and, no, and, and next, I, so I tried it. So I closed my eyes and said, you know, how do you see Freya? And amazingly, a complete different universe. I saw her as Wonder Woman's mother in in the um as the Amazon. And I thought, you know what? I see her as a little age, not incapable or not, but a little. And then I looked and I think I'm I'm putting on a little age to a lot of the gods and goddesses just because my story is getting older as well. So I relate That's to fair. to them their knowledge, <clears throat> except maybe with Thor. Um, <laughs> I relate to their knowledge. Yeah, we have a whole conversation just about the way that the Marvel movies have changed how people picture because there's so much artwork out there now, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. devotional artwork of the gods, but that is, is really clearly based on you know the the actors that played those deities or you know just the the marvel depictions of them in the movies um and it, to me it's really fascinating to see how how that crossover has happened and it just gets back into why we need to appreciate that these are still living stories they're still out there you know we still want to engage with them which is why we picture you know um tom hiddleston or, or chris helmsworth when we're thinking of norse god <laughs> But they were so perfectly cast. I mean, the act. We will, we'll, we'll, um, um, okay. So, Ben, Ben, the spring break. A lot of queer Norse heathens resonate with the sexual aspect of the deities because of the Marvel depictions. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if this were, was where Ben was going with this, but. I think the comic books in particular, because the comic books you had um, Thor becoming Lady Thor and then back to Thor and you, you have Loki all over the place. And we had the, um, the multiverse Loki TV show where you have an alternate Loki that was, um, you know, female. So I definitely, I definitely agree <laughs> that there's a lot of, um, you know, queer people out there who resonate particularly with some of those Marvel aspects and showing that fluidity. Um, you know, the, the Thor part, not so much in the mythology. We don't find the Loki for sure. Um, Loki's all over the place. Yeah, um, Loki for people who aren't familiar with the mythology, um, you know, is the father of several children, but is also the mother of at least um, one. <laughs> So, so work that out if, if, if yeah. you will. I would like to, what he wants. I would like to, exactly. I would like to just take a minute here to vent about the Thor becoming okay. a female. Okay. I have never ever had any problems with representation because if I see characteristics in a character I like, I just take them on, whether they're male or female or whatever. And I thought this is an easy thing to do. But then, 
the Thor thing happened. And I started seeing like these people who hadn't talked about comic books in a hundred years or whatever, um, going, well, they can't, she can't do it. A woman cannot be Thor. And so I like, was like, okay, I have to rethink this because obviously it is issue. What is their problem? And, um, and, and, you know, maybe little girls do need to have like, okay. Even before Marvel, to be fair, way back when the comics started or whatever, I was a Thor fan um, with that really horrible cartoon with that theme song. Yes, um, yeah, because that makes me so happy. <laughs> Thor, the god. Yes, yes. Oh my! Yes, because it was mythology and it had always been. He was always my favorite super. Like, I'm not a big superhero fan, but he was always my favorite superhero because he was a myth and i was attracted to that so that i started thinking has one of my favorite lines of all time which is something happens and thor is like by odin's beard and odin is right next to him and goes by my beard <laughs> yes and it just cracked me up yes no i'm gonna have to put that up on fika the theme song and the whole bit so now <laughs> i'm so bad yeah. it's good so I'm thinking I was a little girl who loved Thor, but had a strange way of thinking, obviously, because I'm just like, I can be Thor. And, and so I, I was rethinking of that. And I was thinking, you know, maybe there's little girls that need to see Thor as a little girl. And I do not have comic books, but I have the first five of the Thor female series. Yeah, just because I was going to frame it because I was just like, how dare you first complicate my life? I had it all sorted out in my head. <laughs> and second of all, like, just why? Why is this a big deal? Like, I just don't understand why it would be a fuss. It's a story. Stories change. Well, I understand why it would be a fuss. But, you know, you know it's not I a fuss to me. Who thinks that that's really strange, does not read comic books, because comic books and the way that they they retcon things and re have these storylines and then go back to the other storylines and like if, if you're a fan of comics like the amount of alternate universe different things that happen in comics is is really all over the place um so the lady thor arc was not even that strange or unusual by you know comic book standards and i actually think it was really good to challenge people who have a super rigid idea of who or what a deity can be. If, if it's a deity to me, then it can be what it wants to be. And it can take on whatever form it wants. It can do what it wants. It can, you know, I'm not going to put a limit on a, a God <laughs> based on what I assume about human physicality, which we could also get in a whole conversation. Well, yeah, whether or not they have a phys or they're just a, appearing as we want them to appear um and and just to just to prove the point that um is it okay here is my husband saying speaking of comic book is the only comic books you own are the thor became a woman yep. um comic books because okay. i needed those and brian brings up a good point uh, which happens so <laughs> Brian brings up a good point. The comic book 
Lady Thor arc was great. It brought up some so many philosophical issues, not least of which is what does it mean to be worthy? What yeah. does it mean to be worthy? And I and that, that is something that affects everybody. Yeah. Um, so good point, Brian. Um, and so yeah. So going back <laughs> to Freya, but I I do stand by the fact that this was an important little side note because it talks about how we feel about how people feel about I think um, it's good appearances. to challenge our preconceived notions. Something very similar happened but with a much well actually no probably equally dark um, reaction. When the Marvel movies first came out and Idris Elba was cast as Heimdall the amount of ridiculous drama that that started in a lot of heathen groups because people did not like that depiction of that deity, which, which comes down to skin color, which is ridiculous. Because again, you know, the gods are gonna appear however they choose to appear. And also Idris Elba is amazing. So, um, but it's, you know, I think it's good sometimes for us to have those preconceived notions challenged and to really stop and think about why do we feel like a, a deity, whether it's a comic book version or or a Norse pagan version, has to be depicted in one very specific way. Why are we uncomfortable with that being flexible, especially in the modern world where, you know, why because, should we appear with, with whatever, motorcycles and I don't know, anything? Because physical to some people is so much more important than imagination and spiritual and Ben says how dare they and yes you are correct Ben now moving that that sort of brings up another touchy subject with the heathenry and you brought it up in the book and I'm very glad that you did because if it's not brought up it's going to bring a an unfavorable opinion of all heathens and the Norse mythology in so when we speak about them arguing because of skin color um why is that morgan why would they do that so <laughs> heathenry um also true norse paganism whatever we want to call it in whatever context has struggled for a long time um a long long time at this point with um, issues relating to racism and white supremacy and um, a, a lot of things along those lines. It's very common for runes, for example, to be co-opted by these groups, um, for Odin in particular to get co-opted by these groups. And again, keeping in mind as I say this, I've been part of the healing community now for um, whatever it works out to, 17, 18 years. And when I first had gotten into it, it, there was definitely an idea that you shouldn't tolerate these sorts of things um, in, in uh, most of the groups. But there was also a little bit of a live and let live, you know, just let them do their own thing as long as we're not part of it. That but, if you ignore them, they'll go away. Yes. Thing. And very predictably, that is not what happened. Um, when you ignore or when you tolerate these sorts of things, it just tends to encourage them. And I think we've been at a place really in the last 10 years, but especially the last five, where we have an obligation, in my opinion, to speak up and speak out 
against some of these um, philosophies and these ideas and the way that they're infiltrating. Um, you know, it really makes me sad that several religious symbols for um, Norse pagans, for heathens, are on um, the list of hate symbols because, you know, it's, it's really gotten to that point and we could have stopped it much sooner if we hadn't had this attitude of, you know, you know, that's not our business. So we don't encourage it. We don't endorse it, but you're just going to let them do what they're going to do. And I think we really should have been vocally speaking out against this much earlier. Uh, so now we have to do it now, really. Really. So the public service announcement here is not everybody that is part of the heathen community believes this. This is a fringe element to it. Canadians have gotten in trouble for saying that before, but I'm going for it. So there is a fringe element to it. And if you see that, stop it. And it's so easy. Like I had mentioned to Morgan in my early, more innocent days of social media, back when I would see like this beautiful caption with this Nordic scenery. And I would be like, oh, this seems like a nice site. And I would follow it. And then several days later, get me out get me out get him out yeah and i would have to um leave it it's very easy to get sucked into something with that without knowing when you're when you're learning or whatever yeah, so and it, it is so pervasive um that you do have to be careful which is why in my books i include you know things sort of cautioning people and just making them aware like you know this this is definitely not all norse um, pagans this is not all heathens not all asatrur there are a lot of good people in the religion it, it's just a lot of disenfranchised males who want to be thor okay yeah. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's nothing in the mythology or the folklore <laughs> or the history that really supports that, that, this idea no no it's sad sad people so, and this is why I say Morgan is real is because she does approach these subjects, which is a very, I, I wasn't even thinking about it when I was reading the book, but when you went there, I was like, oh yes, this, this really did need to be discussed for, for an introductory book because it is, Sadly, it, it, it does. It, it it does okay so going so we've we've discussed that so going back to um portrayals um dave thinks that wednesday in in um neil gaiman's american gods the film is the perfect so apparently he sees odin as a shyster and i think a lot of gods and god i mean they weren't meant set up to be perfect they yeah. were set up to to um do what they want because they were gods and goddesses and the odin power and so. the mythology was always a very means justify the ends kind of person um, a lot of his stories are about him doing things that are not super ethical because the outcome is something that is necessary for him because he's trying to stave off the end of the world um ragnarok yeah. with the gods so you know from his point of view he's going to do what he has to do to delay that as much as possible and i 100 percent agree that um american gods is very well cast and i think the the book and the series are another great example of that sort of rooting the the gods in the modern world you know, how would they be if they were walking around in the world today? Yeah, Neil Gaiman definitely has a wonderful way of reimagining 
that with with my yes yes love the man okay his work love the work uh, <laughs> i can love both it's good so what okay one more thing and then we've got to move on because we want to talk about between the worlds i want to talk about between the worlds i'm so caught up in the love story i don't know who i want to <laughs> oh that's gonna, gonna spoil work. it for you <laughs> So I only have 11 books in the series. Um, lots of reading there. So when we talk, okay, so we kind of covered that. You need a little bit of the academic look into it so you know where it originated and can get the regular story. But you need that personal experience and that. So it's, it's that balancing when going into any of those things. Yeah, And I, I definitely, once again, any writers out there suggest this book because Pagan Portals are, you know, it's, it's all in lists, all the details. You don't have to look much further than they are to get the, what you need for a fictional book. Okay, so we're going into... And, and tell me that they like the books because they're pagans or witches. They like the books because they're fiction authors that were looking for, like, research material, like... There's, there's definitely a lot of reasons that you might find the book valuable. Well, and that's it. Here at FICA, we say one person's folklore is another person's spirituality. And we respect it in all its forms. Um, because it is the story that is most important. That's going to help us or, or make us think. So we're moving on to Between the Worlds, ladies and gentlemen. That is a series that... Um, Morgan has written and published independently. Um, I think it's it's sort of like a paranormal mystery romance urban series. Yeah, I, I kind of describe it as like paranormal or urban fantasy and paranormal romance kind of smushed together with a little alternate reality going on. <laughs> nope, I think Vicky froze again. Are you back? Keep talking. <clears throat> um, yeah, when I when I initially was going to write it, um, I hadn't written fiction in a long time, and a friend of mine had suggested I try it. Uh, this would have been back in 2013, I think, um, or 2014, and. Um, what they had suggested was that I should write something that I wanted to read. And so I figured, you know what, I'll give it a try. You know, why not? And initially when I was writing the first book, Murder Between the Worlds, I really was just writing a story I would want to read. I didn't think I was going to publish it. I wasn't worried about other people seeing it. Um, I was really just doing it sort of for fun in a way, although it's, it is a very kind of heavy book <laughs> for those of you who are considering reading it. Um, the premise is that in 1914, the human world and the world of fairy were merged together um, involuntarily, as it were. And it resulted in this kind of patchwork quilt um, world where, you know, parts of it are still the human world, parts of it are the world of fairy, which is run by the elves. And parts of it are kind of these border areas between those two sections, those two patches. And in a place, in a town that exists kind of on the edge between those two worlds, um, there is a serial killer who's going around. Uh, and the main character kind of gets pulled in as someone who is uh, a bit of an expert 
because of her background and, and having a bookstore uh, in what they think might be um, the purpose of the serial killer. It's sort of these ritual killings. And so obviously the first book is going to deal with a serial killer, which is not super light reading <laughs> for everyone. Um, but well, it isn't, but it's real. Okay. You're, you're, you're doing a mystery. You're doing how these people will react to any, like we just talked about with Freya, how people react to changes in their life. And this is an alternate reality in which there was a big change in their life and they've never gotten over with it. So you can't really write a book like that without getting a little, you know, uh, <laughs> deep. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> Part of what I want to do with my fiction is take on some really popular tropes. So I like to take things that are very common in other urban fantasy or paranormal romance or what have you, but then twist them, <laughs> you know, do them a little differently. Um, and one of the things I do with Between the Worlds is I, I do try to look at, you know, how would this actually impact someone? <laughs> who kind of gets sucked into this investigation, but really doesn't have that background. You know, she's not a police officer. She's not a detective. She literally is a bookstore owner. Yeah. Well, because bookstore owners, we readers yeah. are experts at a lot of things. <laughs> yes. That's sort of where she's from. <laughs> she's read a lot, but she doesn't have a lot of practical real world experience. No with certain things well no no and that that's always helpful um to do but it does i don't know i'm caught up in the characters your characters are always very interesting i'm caught up in in your taking on these tropes but because they are real characters they are um no not that i'm saying the fiction is i know you people think that i believe this stuff is always going on somewhere outside of morgan's mind but um <laughs> I'm just like taking notes and repeating <laughs> the stuff the characters do. I'm not even sure how much of it I'm coming up with anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's um, someone has to be in control. Again, you can be you me. can be the goddess Freya over this world. Okay, you the, can be the number the of times, and this is true. The number of times I've had a plot planned out and outlined, and been like, "This is what's going to happen. This is the arc." And I get like partway through and the characters are just like, I would never do that. That is not what I would do. And I'm like, oh, darn it, it's not. And then you have to go in a whole different direction because otherwise the story doesn't make sense because that's not what that person would do. Well, and, and obviously you do well listening to them because I do find that they follow through like with who they are and how they might be in this situation. And there's no perfection. The character, the characters are real. They're like real people that you see on the street and they trust people they shouldn't trust and they don't trust people. And I don't even know who to trust. All I know is I usually have a definite idea if there is like, or even if there should be a romance, I don't know, just dump them all. But I, <laughs> I am wrapped up in this. Like, I'm like, I don't know what is the answer. One could help understand the past and who she is, the other she has history with. Like, but then if this happens, maybe he can help too. And Morgan, I'm just all, I'm just all caught up about it. So we'll move to Brian, who's usually a little more logical and less emotional. 
Brian asks, Morgan, I see you've both self-published and gone through small presses. How would you characterize the difference between the two publishing paths? Sorry if this is a bit off topic. Don't oh, no, sorry, that's a great Brian. question. Just ask away. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think really for me, uh, there's advantages and disadvantages no matter what you do. So... If you go through traditional publishing, of course, the immediate challenge is, is getting a publisher who is going to take your work and publish it. If we can get past that part, um, there are advantages. The book will be more widespread. It gets out into a lot more places. Um, people do tend to take a book more seriously still, um, whether they should or not. If it's coming from a traditional press, you get a lot more support, you get editing, um, the covers are more professionally done. Uh, I'm saying this as someone who does not have the money to put into- No, this is cheaper to get, to get a publisher, right? Yeah. When you do self-publishing, it is gonna be an investment, even if you're on a minimal budget. But um, I am not one of those self-published authors who has you know, four or five digits of budget to spend on really professionally putting the book out there. Um, I, I'm a very do-it-myself kind of person because um, my budget is minimal, <laughs> like two, two digits. No, we're all, we're all listening, Morgan. We all understand. <laughs> um, I think the, the advantage with self-publishing, though, is that you have complete control. So, um, for example, when I was on the show last time, we were talking about my novel Into Shadow, which has just come out. Um, it's gotten great reviews. The people who read it have really loved it. But it's very hard in the mainstream fiction market or the fantasy market. And the book is just not selling really well. I mean, it is selling, but not where you would want it to be. So I had planned to do a sequel. I don't know that I'm actually going to be able to do the sequel because traditional publishers are not going to invest in the second book in a series if the first book is not making it look worthwhile because the second book will always sell less than the first book. So you're not going to? I'm going to write it. I just am not sure how they're going to feel about it. Okay. Okay. So it's okay. happening. It just may not go to. Yeah. Um, and the way contracts tend to work in traditional publishing is you can't just write a book for them. And then if it doesn't do exceptionally well and you know, they're not keen on a sequel, you can't just publish it yourself. Um, like you have to wait a certain amount of time or you have to buy your copyright back or there's, there's certain things that have to happen. Can you um, just write it and send me a copy? Like <laughs> I can. Um, just have a whole mail list of people who want to read. <laughs> I'm writing it now. And, and to be like, most of the people who have read it, really want a sequel and really like the characters it's just getting it out to the market to a point where it's going to sell enough to make a sequel worthwhile so i'm saying that as an example because with between the worlds i was offered a contract on the first book with a traditional publisher but i chose not to take it i chose to self-publish because i knew when i wrote the first book that i wanted to do at least trilogy i knew that that serial killer arc was going to take about three books to really get into and wrap up because there's a lot of stuff <laughs> and you went a little <laughs> further <laughs> because there are 11 books people and this and i don't know because i haven't gotten to the end um of the 11th one is there more to come for that 
I'm, I'm going to be working on the next book. The next, uh, the last two that have come out was a novella and a prequel. Um, the prequel is probably going to end up being its own series because people really love that character. Um, I am working on the next one, the main series um, at this point. So yeah, there's still more story to tell. Um, the characters are still very loud and opinionated. So <laughs> there'll be more. Um, but I, I knew when I wrote the first book, there was going to be at least three. And I knew if I took that contract and the first book didn't sell well, I would not be able to get those other books out there. So I made a decision that I would self-publish it. And then no matter what happened, even if only five people bought it, I could still keep writing for as long as I felt there was a story there to tell, um, which I'm glad that I did. People really seem to like it. There's a little fan group for it on Facebook and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that really like the characters <laughs> and really like how the story's gone over the course of all those books. Um, but that was a case where self-publishing, I think really was the better choice was the better. option. So, and, and this is the perfect example that people don't quite get. And we're trying to change that and let them know that not everyone who independently, independently publishes is doing it as the default setting. Okay. They have for their various own reasons decided to go independent. And I'm glad you did too, because, you know, I'm still looking for the, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, here, <laughs> which is the answer to what is going on. So I, I have to, I have to keep going. Brian says that his characters, when we're talking about characters taking on. Oh, yep. Personality. Oh, I see his comment. My characters have rap parties inside my head and don't invite me. That is very relatable. <laughs> I also feel sometimes like uh, like that's what's going on. The, the characters have their own agendas and their own plans. And I'm just along for the ride at this point. I think especially okay. now, 10 books in, 11 books in, um, the characters are definitely running the show. <laughs> Um, and you're running this show, Morgan. I think I have to sign you up for those times I can't make it. Like, Morgan, come over because you did half the show anyways while I was off doing whatever I was doing. Um, Keeping it rolling. Yeah. yeah. No. It, just just keep that. Just, just get this even more now. She's earned her keep here. Okay. So... <laughs> Get this series. Try the series. If you're into the paranormal thing, if you're into real characters, um, and I went again. Um, keep keep getting this. Keep getting the books. I'm gonna keep getting them. Start with your first one. They're um very the ebooks are very reasonably priced. They really are. Um, I try and I do. Um, you know, I know there's people that are on limited budgets. I do tend to run sales on Amazon where um, not, I can only do them like once every three months, but we're all, you know, the price is $2.99, I think for the ebook, I'll knock it down to like 99 cents um, for people. So if, if you want to read the series, but you know, budgeting is an issue, just keep an eye on it. And it does periodically, at least the first three do periodically go on sale. So you can check them out then. Um, if that's a better option for you. And the newest one should be coming out, assuming everything goes well, um, and my, my summer chaos is behind me now. Uh, the newest book should be coming out hopefully early next year. 
we'll keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> so looking forward to that. I would also like to point out to the fairies that we do know that they're here. Um, whenever I try to do a conversation with Morgan or anyone on that subject, everything seems to go um, the way they want it to. So I didn't pay attention to them. I also, um, when I was on vacation last week, saw a sign that said, Oh, and we're frozen again, so we'll never know what the sign said. I made my family drive. Um, so it said it says Fairy Falls. So I made my family drive back half an hour to go down Fairy Falls because you would think if the road is called Fairy Falls, there would be a Fairy Falls on the road. Drove down the road, could not find the Fairy Falls. There was a small beaver dams trail at the end but at that point i'm like no i'm not going to make you go any further yeah. came back home to internet and found out that it was on the beaver dams thing so the beaver dams trail so i did not get to see fairy falls and i'm paying for it i'm sorry morgan that you need That's to very on brand <laughs> i just not just for <laughs> mean i'm glad for once i'm not the one because usually it's me with all the weird tech problems and and freezing or buffering or something so I, I'm sorry that you're dealing with it, Vicky, but it's, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I would much rather it was you. So you were <laughs> <laughs> Brian Brian says that I forgot to leave out a bowl of whiskey for the fairies and goddesses and I really do need to up my offerings people okay um so there was so much I had to talk about Morgan is just gonna need to come back again that's all there is to it um yeah, so anytime Morgan <laughs> And um, we ha we do have fun, even though we have our interruptions. <laughs> um, so you take care, and best of luck with all of your writing and and getting that. I'm I'm not rushing you for the next because I still have like eight or so of the series <laughs> to read. So yeah. Um, anyway, okay, we better just end this. All right, <laughs> so bye. We'll talk later. Okay. Thank you take for having care. me on. <laughs> okay, I hope I have no idea what's going on, but um, I hope you can hear me long enough for me to say goodbye. M may your coffee be hot and your story sweet. Thanks for being patient and listening. Everyone, and I had to go to the music. And okay, we'll see how it goes. Thanks. Bye bye.